Hello, everyone. Welcome to Wild in Theology. My name is Will, and this is my co-host, Kaylee. As with the last time we talked about spa dynamics, you do not need to listen to any other episodes to understand anything uh, talked about here. Mm-hmm. Um, but before we get into the actual episode, we want to tell you about our social medias. Yeah. So we are on social media on Instagram at Wild and Theology, and what else are we on? Twitter. We're also on Twitter at Wild and Theology. <laughs> Same thing, same name, same picture. Mm -hmm. Um, If you want to engage with us, it's the best place. Mm -hmm. We're also doing Q&As are going to be in the future. So if you want to engage with us, that's the best place. Yeah, slide into our DMs. Yeah, slide slide right in. It's all good. (laughs) Um, Comments, criticisms, questions, Mm -hmm. anything. Mm -hmm. Uh, So for those of you who don't know what Spiral Dynamics is, this is where we get into like why you don't need to listen to the other episodes. Uh, It is essentially a model of psychological and societal development. The idea is that as society develops in population size and technology and other factors, new problems emerge that require a new way of thinking and behaving to solve. Mm -hmm. A good way to explain how this works is with the idea of a holon. (laughs) H-O-L-O-N. I love that word. (laughs) The first time I heard it, I was like, oh, this is bullshit. I just like completely glossed over it. I was like, I don't need to know about this. Everything's a whole on. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. Everything is a whole on. It's, it's a way to categorize everything that exists based on the idea that everything is a whole part Mm -hmm. H or W H O L E whole Mm -hmm. part. Everything that exists is a whole in itself and is part of some higher whole. So for example, an atom is a whole atom and is part of a molecule. Mm-hmm. A molecule is a whole molecule and is part of a cell. So with each level, there are properties that emerge that don't exist in the parts. Water is made up of oxygen and hydrogen, but water doesn't exist in the oxygen or the hydrogen, mm-hmm. right? Uh, instead, it emerges when you combine them in the right way. Mm-hmm. Another example is a TV. If you were to just like take all the parts of a TV and just like pile them together, you don't have a TV that can turn on. They need to be ordered in the right way for like the turning on the TV to emerge, mm-hmm. right? And so Spiral Dynamics says that human society and psychology works the same way. When all the parts that make up our society progress forward, they eventually begin to form a new higher level of society, just like the molecules of a cell allow the cell to come into being. A globalized economy doesn't exist in any one nation state, but instead emerges from all the nation states that make up that globalized economy. As such, there are going to be new problems that emerge that only a globalized psychology can deal with. If your psychology is only taking into account your own individual nation state, then you can't really solve the new problems that only emerge at the level of a globalized world. Right. And so there are definitely problems that still exist at the nation state that a nation state psychology can solve. But at a globalized economy, there's always going to be new problems. Mm -hmm. And this happens at every level of society. Mm -hmm. So with all of that being said, if you want to learn more about this, I highly recommend you read the the Spile Dynamics book by Don Beck and Christopher Cohen. Mm -hmm. Uh, I honestly think, though, the book is 
ordered like absolutely shit. Really? Yeah. Because they spend the first like three quarters of the book um, kind of talking about it on a more meta level, which is nice. Mm. But they also applied a lot to like business. It is a book for like business managing. Mm. And so it gets like so technical and bogged down in details. And you're just like, but you haven't really explained what these stages are about. Yeah. You so know, they, it, it's like it's like they start with the application before they explain exactly the stages themselves. Yeah. They I was thinking, like, yeah. Go ahead. I was thinking like stage or chapter one would be stage beige or something. <laughs> or there'd be like one introductory chapter and then they would just get into it. Exactly. You know? Exactly. And like they they give like a little bit of a description of each, mm-hmm. but they don't really go deep into it. And once you mm-hmm. get to the end of the book where they actually do go deep, mm-hmm. you're like this would have made everything before this make so much more sense. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but it's still good. So if you want to read it, mm-hmm. just start with the end. And if you want to go back, mm-hmm. there's some really good stuff there too. Yeah. Um, it, I just, just for me, like, mm-hmm. because I have, I, my full understanding of spiral dynamics has come from every conversation you and I have had about it, but baseline from Leo's mm-hmm. videos. Do you think those are more thorough or like, or would you recommend the book to someone like me who has watched all the, the Leo videos on it? Honestly, yeah, I would. Yeah. I, I think, and I get into this later, is that like there's always more distinctions to be made because mm-hmm. Spiral Dynamics is kind of an introduction to this kind of thinking. Mm-hmm. And there's always more distinctions to be made and more understandings. And like some distinctions, you realize certain things that were described in Spiral Dynamics are kind of limited. But it's an introduction to that thought. And so the mm-hmm. more information you take in, the more you're, the more you're able to see the limitations mm-hmm. and make those good distinctions. Okay. Right. And so yeah. like, I think for an introduction to it, Leo from actualize.org's videos are probably the best. Whereas if you want to go deeper, it's the spiral dynamics book. And from there, there are even deeper levels after that. Okay. But I would recommend all of it because mm-hmm. I just love this thing. But yeah. I feel like Leo's videos would be the best place to start because they're like you can you can watch the YouTube video or like they're on Spotify as an audio, yeah. so it's like super simple to I get through. I didn't know they're on Spotify. Yeah, yeah, I learned that a couple months ago that he was on Spotify. I had no idea. Oh, I've shit. just been like I've literally been downloading his videos, his audios, and listening to them like going through that entire process when they're just on Spotify oh, the shit. entire time. Yeah, That's so funny. yeah, yeah. But hey, yeah. No, I know. <laughs> um, either way, um, each time I do these trips. Uh, I'm doing so with the underlying intention of creating a better system of actually applying spiral dynamics to psychedelic self-development, mm-hmm. right? Like I, like I mm-hmm. said, I want to get better at making these distinctions. Yes. And so with this trip, I went in even deeper than I already have on what it actually means to integrate a stage. Mm. And so, like I said, I needed to learn to make better distinctions within and between each stage mm-hmm. and what they actually stand for, what the point of a new stage is. Mm-hmm. And what it is one needs from each stage before one is able to move on to the next stage. Yeah. Right. And the first question, like I've said, is super easy to answer. Like it's just in continuing to engage with the material, finding other books that talk about it, finding other videos that talk about it and just making those better distinctions. Yeah. And for purple, I saw what it was supposed to be like on a, for a healthy tribe. Right. And then compared that to how I thought it manifested itself in me. And the point of the trip was to get from the unhealthy manifestation to the healthy manifestation. Mm-hmm. Whereas for red, it was more about like filtering those healthy aspects upward to the current stage that I'm at. Mm-hmm. What does it look like to be a stage red noble warrior while being at stage green? Mm-hmm. And then for blue, I, I started by focusing more 
on why blue actually comes into being in the first place, mm-hmm. right? And so that second question, what the point of a new stage is, mm-hmm. begins to really take shape at stage blue. And this is because at stage blue, it is the first time that there is a real conscious answering of the problems that have arisen from the previous stage. Mm-hmm. The point of each new stage is to answer the problems that arise at the previous stage, mm-hmm. right? That it is incapable of understanding. So like mm-hmm. at purple, the tribes begin to grow and expand their territory. They come into contact with other tribes and begin to compete over resources. The arrival of red is not so much an answer to the problems of red, uh, of purple, but something that arises naturally from these purple tribes fighting each other. The world becomes more violent. And so a more violent psychology is necessary. It just emerges naturally. Yeah. Yeah. It's not a conscious thing. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Whereas at stage blue, it's not a consequence of greater population or technology necessarily. Mm -hmm. These things obviously matter, Mm -hmm. but it rather comes from a desire to improve the conditions that red leads to in its success. Mm -hmm. The forward thinkers, exhausted with the chaos around them, begin to desire stability and order. Mm Mm-hmm. They see the limitations of selfishness, hedonism, and the morality by domination of their world and ask if there could be a better way to be. Mm -hmm. As one might expect, though, the most prosperous red creates the conditions for people to actually think these thoughts. Mm -hmm. It is in the elites of this tumultuous world that a true sense of morality begins to form because they actually have the time away from common concerns of survival to ponder what it means to be good and just, what it takes to create a thriving, peaceful society. Mm -hmm. This gives rise to standards of good conduct that a good citizen must abide by and the roles that they have a duty to perform for the benefit of the society. These roles, though, are not like the roles I was talking about in Stage Red, where they were false roles we perform for for others in order to get something purely for our own egocentric desires. Mm Instead, at Blue, we play these roles, again, specifically for the benefit of society. Mm -hmm. Does this mean there's no egocentricity at this stage? Absolutely not. Uh, It's more that there is a priority of values, not necessarily the values in any absolute sense. Mm -hmm. So there's people who are egocentric, but on the whole, people tend to prioritize the good of the society over the good of their best interest. Yeah, it's like a, a bit of sacrifice of your individual, your individuality in general, mm-hmm. right? For the, for the group. Exactly. Because we're back in, back swung the other way, right? The collective side of mm-hmm. spiral. Mm-hmm. Exactly. It's, it's, that's the spiral of spiral dynamics yeah. is this spiraling upward that oscillates between collectivist and individualist. Mm-hmm. And, and so that balancing act of values is the fundamental dilemma that blue has. Mm-hmm. Society has advanced far enough that a person no longer needs to sacrifice themselves for the good of the purple tribe because each individual is now no longer at the will of nature. Mm-hmm. Instead, a person is far more at the will of other people. Mm-hmm. Red can be an individual, but this is dependent on its ability to impose itself on other people who wish to do the same. Mm-hmm. So Blue asks itself, what way must I be to ensure that this society runs smoothly enough so that I may act in my own self-interest? Mm-hmm. And it's through this line of thinking that Blue comes to, the, to value the group and its rules more than its own self-interest. So Blue then 
is the beginning of the balancing act between security and freedom. Blue is obsessed with creating order from the absolute chaos of life at red because more of the right order or security allows for greater freedom. The military is like a textbook example of a blue organization. And Jocko Willink, an ex-Navy SEAL, has a book literally called Discipline Equals Freedom. Mm -hmm. Again, textbook stage blue. Yes. All blue religions, philosophies, politics, etc. are based on the controlling of the self so as to create greater freedom. Mm -hmm. If I don't give in to gluttony, lust, and rage, to the hedonism and passion of red, I am in control of myself and thus am free to act in a way that aligns with the highest good and the highest justice, mm -hmm. which creates a better, more peaceful society that in turn allows me more freedom to pursue the very most meaningful things in life. And that is where we answer that third question, what exactly is it that one needs from each stage before one is able to move on to the next stage? Stage blue is about law, order, and authority, which in turn create the conditions for the higher stages to appear. This law, order, and authority brought the volatile red under control so that civilization could even emerge. Red is egocentric. It must have some sort of outside authority to defer to until it can learn to set aside its purely selfish needs. So this blue order brings a level of peace that allows more forward thinkers to think the thoughts that move themselves and then society up to orange, where they can begin to really investigate the universe with science. Unfortunately, that blue order becomes dogma that is often sexist, racist, and homophobic. Because anything that even remotely disrupts this order is viewed not only as dangerous, but intrinsically morally bereft, as sinful. Harsh gender roles, distrust of foreigners, and sex only for the purpose of reproduction become valued and then enforced. You know, obviously it is far more complicated than that, but that gives you a partial idea of how this begins to come into being. Mm -hmm. Either way, it was long after we began exploring the universe with orange science that capitalism created the conditions for the middle class to emerge. And to allow the average citizen to start thinking about what they actually value in their life, the average citizen now becomes a forward thinker. Moving into green, where we get people who start caring about family, friends, and emotional well-being far more than orange money, success, and progress. These green things are higher than the orange things, not because they are necessarily better than orange, but because they aren't possible until, until orange creates the conditions for them to emerge. So while orange gives us the tools to begin questioning blue dogma, it isn't until green that we really begin caring about other people enough to begin caring about people very different from ourselves. It requires a high degree of stability in one's life to be empathetic, and we shouldn't take that for granted. However, what green does in its excess is conflate law, order, and authority with the worst of blue dogma. Right. And so, you know, I have green friends who balk at the idea of scheduling their days mm -hmm. who react negatively <laughs> as I look at Kaylee. Balk? What does that even mean? <laughs> who uh, hesitate or like, oh, no, no, no. I, I think I'm past that. I definitely want to. I think yeah. I'm, I'm in the stage where I just don't know how. Yeah. You just don't know how. I mean, it's a big thing. And <laughs> yeah. It, it seems like you're sapping creativity and like going with the flow of your life. But again, discipline equals no, freedom. No, no, no. I definitely, I feel yeah. that now. Good, good. I'm 100% on board with that idea. I'm glad I've indoctrinated you into my way I just being. haven't been able to figure out how to do it yet. It's impl <laughs> implementation time. The implementation time, yeah. But 100%. Discipline equals freedom. Not discipline equals freedom. But it's, it's interesting that you 
say that because, mm-hmm. I mean, this is, doesn't necessarily have to go in the podcast because it's just, it's about me. But um, that's fine. The since I have been reflecting on blue values and trying to integrate them into my life, there's um, a girl I I follow on YouTube. I haven't watched her videos for a while, but she's a, a great like spiritual girl who I really resonate with. And a few weeks ago I was watching one of her videos and she said, just, who is this? Sorry. Her name is Hitomi something. I don't know. Oh, okay. I've never heard of her. Yeah. She's great. I love okay. her. But, um, she said discipline. She's like, she said discipline is freedom. Mm-hmm. And that really stuck out to me. And I was, I've been holding on to that mm-hmm. as like kind of a mantra lately. And I said that to Chris a while ago when we were in conversation He's like, oh, that's a Jocko Willink book. <laughs> like, yeah. oh, yeah, I yeah. never knew that. That's so cool. And, um, yeah. and I just, I love when doors open to things and you're like, oh, there's more. Yeah, yeah, exactly. This idea can develop further. Yeah. yeah. But it's like in, when you're in stage green, people, like I said, balk at that. Mm-hmm. Right? Or they like react negatively against expectations for how they should behave. Yeah. And it's like this discipline equals freedom thing is like discipline is how you should be. You need discipline in your life. God damn it. Mm-hmm. Where it's like green is more just go with the flow. It's more like live in the moment and just enjoy things as they are. Mm-hmm. But taken to the excess, blue can absolutely become pathological. Mm-hmm. But that excessive green reaction to it can also become pathological. Mm-hmm. Right? It's like you become so obsessed with like breaking the rules society has for you that you're just lost in this in the infinity of reality with no idea who you are or what to do. Mm-hmm. Right? No structure at all, yeah. No structure at all. In today's world, we need to integrate the very valuable lessons that Blue brought because it is the very Blue law, order, and authority that created the stable conditions for people to think the thoughts that moved us toward greater freedom and empathy. Mm-hmm. As I said before, in the time of Stage Red, the only people who were able to do that were the elites who crushed anyone who rose up against them. Mm-hmm. I don't think I'll find a lot of a disagreement when I say that leaving this kind of thinking in the hands of only a few elites is not the best way to move toward a better society. Mm-hmm. So integrating blue means integrating the responsibility and duty that we have to uphold a peaceful, stable society. We all have roles that we must play in order to keep our society running smoothly. This doesn't mean perfectly because there are always things that need to be improved upon. I mean, that's obvious. However, if we want to change things as quickly as possible, we need to take seriously the Navy SEAL proverb, slow is smooth, smooth is fast. If we want to change our society for the better, we need it to run smoothly. Healthy blue runs smoothly. Unhealthy blue is dogmatic blue and dogma doesn't move at all. Mm -hmm. I think that's where the resistance to discipline and structure comes from at at green stages because naturally in, in at every stage, it's almost like the unhealthy manifestations of that stage are the ones that get represented the most and what people mm-hmm. think of. Like when I think of, when I first think of stage blue, I, I think of dogma and religion being yeah. very um, oppressive mm-hmm. and all of the unhealthy gender roles and racism. And I mean, the list goes on. Yeah. The list like goes on. Growing up as a Christian and, and kind of moving away from that, I've seen so much about like what the Catholic church, for example, has done mm-hmm. with hiding pedophiles, with doing uh, horrible things in Africa and South America. It's just like, ugh. Mm-hmm. and when you hear blue is 
religion, of mm. course, you're going to react against that. For sure. And even the idea of discipline, it sounds very strict and harsh and mm. like, like even the police come to mind mm. and, and just stuff like that. And just, I think that's, that's why there's yeah. so much resistance to that because there's not a lot of like clear examples of, of healthy mm-hmm. stage blue in our society, you know? And then when you, you, when you think about like police, for example, and you, you see uh, a video of a police officer doing something like community outreach, mm-hmm. it just, it, it tastes so much of propaganda mm-hmm. that it, it just poisons the water even more. Yeah. And so it becomes very difficult to like, to view these institutions of authority with any kind of respect or, or gratitude. Mm-hmm. Right. But when we look at, you know, the Catholic church coming back to that mm-hmm. Catholicism set the stage, like I said, for a lot of the, the, the thinking of liberty and equality and good faith mm-hmm. toward our fellow people come into being. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's like, they definitely were perfect, but without Catholicism, we would have been stuck in, in the dark ages where people had no idea how to make sense of things. Mm-hmm. And it's like the Catholicism prolonged the dark ages in a lot of ways, but it also set the stage, like I said, to move away from them. Mm-hmm. So this is when that, that's like everything you just heard is what I wrote before the trip. Mm-hmm. That was like setting the stage. And, and I had a little bit more written before, about like what my intention was, mm-hmm. but it's really funny. And we talked about this beforehand of like, my intention is always so specific and I'm always looking for something so specific. Mm-hmm. Does it like always come out of that? Mm-hmm. And the funny thing is, is that like, I was super afraid before going in that I was like, I would do all this preparation. I have nothing to show for Like anything can fucking happen. Right. Yeah, totally. It's... Well, I had nothing to fear. <laughs> in fact, I, I, I literally got what I wanted specifically, which is information to make a blue podcast. Mm-hmm. And there was some personal stuff, of course, mm-hmm. but it was more about understanding blue Yeah. more than personal. Yeah. And so like I asked the mushrooms for information about making a blue podcast and that's exactly what I got. Yeah. So it was so specific to that. Mm -hmm. That's really interesting because, and something I'd said before when we were talking about this was that like, you get a lot Mm -hmm. from mushrooms, like the insights that come naturally to you, but then it's also your interpretation of it. And you're just going to use a blue lens to interpret that anyway. So it's, it's both. Yeah. And (laughs) it's both. Yeah. (laughs) Well, yeah, that's exactly it. And like, Mm -hmm. I've even... I can remember specifically in a trip I had like a year ago, last August, when I first started doing mushrooms again, uh, there was a time in it when I like specifically noticed myself think of something and then immediately tie it back to the intention. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. it, it's the intention allows you to like, just it's, it's the foundation that you can tie all these like insane threads of just like the infinity of reality coming at you all at once mm-hmm. down to this foundation. Yeah. You know, and, and yeah. <laughs> When I was actually having the trip, I always feel like there's going to be something like, like one of the first trips I had as uh, as a teenager, too young to actually do mushrooms, is that I had like it, the the house we were in became like a fun house, and I was like running around. And there's cool stuff happening. I was just seeing weird shit, right? Mm. And I always expect that now to happen again, but this trip was completely different because what happened is that I was like laying flat on my back on my bed. My laptop was on my lap. My eyes were closed and I was just like fiercely typing for like three hours, just nonstop. And uh, it really speaks to like how good of a typer I am because I didn't look at once. Just eyes closed. Yeah. Good for you. Thank you. Eyes closed too. That's incredible. Yeah. 
It's also a funny image I'm imagining. <laughs> I know. It's like, it just makes me laugh when I just think of somebody on mushrooms <laughs> laying on their bed, just like furiously typing on their fucking computer. <laughs> oh, man. But, uh, yeah, but there's a lot there. Yeah. Right. And so finding out where to actually begin making sense of all of these notes was like a little bit difficult, mm -hmm. as you can imagine. But basically what I figured out was how this blue obsession with order this blue obsession with order actually comes about on a personal level, mm -hmm. right? And so one of the things you learn about spiral dynamics is that not only has society gone through these stages, but each person also goes through these stages as they age. We're all born at the first stage and we all have to go through each higher stage. And there's a really good reason why this is the case. Uh, it's honestly a really deep topic that we can't go in with this episode, but mm -hmm. like we will talk about it on a future episode. Yeah. So. Please bear, bear with me as I explain this. Um, so if we look at red, it's very egocentric. Like I said, it's hedonistic. It lives in the moment. So basically it's like a toddler, mm -hmm. right? The terrible twos are like peak stage red. Mm -hmm. What happens is that as a child moves out of this egocentricity, it begins to be able to take the perspective of other people, mm -hmm. begins to take the perspective of other people. So for example, let's say that like you're sitting across from a, a child, right? Like four or five years old and you have a huge piece of paper with red on one side and green on the other and the green is facing you and you ask the child, okay, what color do you see? They'll say red. Mm. But if you ask them what color you see and they know that both colors are on the same on the paper, they've seen that mm -hmm. they'll still say, oh, you see red mm -hmm. because they can't put themselves in your shoes and know that you're actually seeing the green side. Mm -hmm. And you said this is like, what, four or five? Uh, the next stage usually starts around seven, and that's when they begin to kind of move out. So it's kind mm -hmm. of like around seven years old, maybe a little bit before, a little bit after that a child learns how to do this. Yeah. Now, once this starts changing, we basically go from being the center of the universe, the one who mommy and daddy... Uh, the one who mommy and daddy did absolutely everything for, the one they loved and kept safe, to realizing that mommy and daddy have lives of their own. Sometimes they don't think about us. We begin to fear that they might forget about us because now we can comprehend that they can. We go from being that little powerful toddler, the thunderhead, again, the literal center of the universe, to realizing just how alone we really are. And I had this feeling of just like intense loneliness when I, when I realized this as I was tripping. Mm. And now we have the need to belong. All we want is just to belong to someone else, to something outside ourselves that we can look to and say, I belong to this thing, just like I once believed I belonged to my parents. The group, this sort of abstracted entity of belongingness becomes a way for us to always belong to something. It's intense. Yeah, it is. It's intense that you felt that too. Like, yeah. I love that. It was crushing loneliness. Well, I was yeah. just like sad for like a little bit. I just kind of laid there. I was just like, oh, like the, 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 the crushing feeling of just being alone in the universe. Like that idea of like, mm -hmm. no matter who you know, you're always dying alone. Mm -hmm. It's like, yeah. As soon as you're no longer this center of the universe, you're no longer this like egocentric self, you realize that other people are just like not thinking about you all the time. Mm -hmm. And that's a huge realization for like a little kid to have. For sure. And that's like the stages on a developmental level. If like mm -hmm. red is a child, 
but even just like red societies, could you imagine living like that? And like with those values and just realizing yeah. that you're alone, like nobody else has got your back because mm-hmm. they have their own They're Everybody's out for themselves. Yeah. And there's no belonging yeah. to anything. There's no uniting force. Yeah. There's a lot of paranoia there. Yeah. You know, yeah. like Trump has always been told to me is like a, a, a perfect example for stage red mm-hmm. and he's very paranoid. Mm-hmm. He's always, someone's always out to get him. Mm-hmm. And, and that's stage red. It's like, you can't trust anybody else because you just assume everybody's like you where they assume the best interest, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. But, uh, before I was actually into the trip, I was just meditating mm-hmm. like the morning of the trip. And, uh, I actually started imagining myself as like a Christian sitting outside the, uh, the Notre Dame Basilica in Old Port. Mm-hmm. It's this like beautiful, beautiful church in Montreal that just like perfectly represents the magnificence of the Christian God. Mm-hmm. And so I'm visualizing just like being there sitting um, there's like all these people around me and I kind of feel like self-conscious, right? Cause I'm like, I don't know if any of these people are Christians, right? Our society is becoming less and less Christian over time. Mm-hmm. But then I like imagine looking at myself or looking up at this enormous architectural monument to the Supreme being. Mm-hmm. And I realized how powerful that must be for someone to be able to just like, bow their head and pray, ignoring all the people around them who might be judging them or whatever it is, and only be thinking about the fact that somewhere out there, there's a God waiting to help them, waiting Mm -hmm. to help me. No matter where I am or what I'm suffering, I am part of a worldwide group of Christians, and we all belong together to God. Like how powerful must that have been like 600 years ago at the peak of Christian power, Mm -hmm. the sense of belongingness where everywhere you look is just Christians. And you Mm -hmm. look up at these enormous monuments and these beautiful paintings that are all made specifically for your God, your group. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. Yeah. And to really believe that deeply. Wow. Like the the, the sense of belongingness that must have created Mm -hmm. just been... Mm-hmm. all powerful for sure for sure i mean even not that long ago like you said you grew up christian mm-hmm. as did i like going to catholic school and being in church or even i was part of the praise and worship group and we would sing jesus songs yeah yeah and just like being there like singing this song surrounded by other people it, it's just it's it's a powerful feeling like it really like goes through you and you, yeah. and you do feel like part of something mm-hmm like in the physical world, yes, but like part of something greater too. And you really like yeah. believe that feeling. It's amazing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's really what we do, mm-hmm. right? Like we, we create these groups to have something to belong to that's outside of ourselves, mm-hmm. whether it's Christianity, Islam, Marxism, capitalism, feminism, masculinism, right? Yeah. You are now held by your group, mm-hmm. just like you were once held by mommy and daddy. Mm-hmm. And in a lot of cases, people are now willing to fight to the death just to make sure that it isn't taken away from them. Mm-hmm. The thing is, once we have these groups, things get really, really complicated. Mm-hmm. As the size of these groups increase, we need to make sure that everyone is behaving in a way that contributes to the overall health of the group. Mm-hmm. Like I said before, blue is about bringing law and order to the chaotic red world. That means that there are going to be strict laws and codes of conduct to make sure that this group functions well. Blue answers these problems by giving an external absolute authority for everyone to align themselves with 
So no matter what, we always know that everyone is going to be acting in a way that makes our group strong. This is especially true when we consider that these groups were emerging from red, where people just acted in their best interest and not in the best interest of the group. Mm-hmm. And it seems like, well, back then it must have been easier because like you said, it's just like Christianity could dominate. But now we're trying to account for so many different uniting forces of people, yeah. you know, and We've, they all believe so strongly. Mm-hmm. So there's little tolerance for others. Yeah. And we have to remember that, again, this is rising, arising from the need to belong to something. Mm-hmm. Right. And so it's like if, if we want to continue to have something to belong to, we need to have, be sure that our group stays safe. Mm-hmm. When the group is threatened from the outside, people become more conservative. Mm-hmm. They defend their in-group far more fiercely because this is triggering these belongingness needs. Mm-hmm. Like you said, we're splintering into so many different groups where uh, we're coming under threat. It's far easier to come under threat. Mm-hmm. And so the more under threat that our group is, the more dogmatic our group becomes, the more polarized groups mm-hmm. become. The more dogmatic our group becomes, the more threatened we are by people who are even slightly different than us. We become very afraid that if people adopt roles that prevent the cohesion of our group, we won't have something to belong to. We need people to align with our values and our ways of being because that ensures that we all really belong and we won't have our sacred group taken away from us. Mm -hmm. With increasing population size, human relationships get more and more complex and so there's more and more pressure to make sure that people conform to the way of being that has allowed our group to survive for this long. Mm-hmm. Even just the presence of another group is threatening mm-hmm. because even just through contrast calls into question the integrity of your own group because yeah. you're being exposed to like another way of doing things. And these people believe just as strongly that their way is the way. Absolutely. And like, again, like I said, the more dogmatic you become, the more you're just like hyper-focused on any differences that there might be, mm-hmm. right? It's like a little tiny difference in, in the way you think about something can be blown out of proportion into something to fight over, mm-hmm. right? And this is where these roles are all coming from. Mm-hmm. But if we really consider it, what do we mean by a role? Like, what is that? Mm-hmm. The codes of conduct that our group has created tell us how to think, how to act, and how to live our lives. We adopt these rules for what to do, and they define the role we play. And so what I realized is that a role is an interpretive lens through which we transform how reality currently is into how reality should be. Whether it's ourselves, the people around us, or the things that happen in the world, we take all of this in and then transform it into what our roles inform us it must be. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. That's yeah. a great definition. Thank you. That came to me while I was uh, while I was tripping, and it was like, whoa, whoa like, what the fuck? In the like, words, like literally that, yeah. It just like funneled down from the gods. Oh my god! And used you as its mouthpiece. That's how I felt. It, it literally, <laughs> like, it, it felt like I, I, I kept on coming back to this this um, theme, I guess, where it's just like the infinity of reality, just like pummeling into my mind. And yeah. I'm just like doing my best to keep up with my fingers on this keyboard. Dude, that's so cool. Yeah. You know, it's like those Alex Gray paintings where there's like, just like a funnel going like straight yeah, through yeah. them into the sky. <laughs> that's exactly what I was yeah. picturing while that's I was amazing. Yeah. <laughs> so like an example of this though, mm-hmm. right? Like what do I mean by an interpretive lens? An interpretive lens. Like, well, it's an example. Yeah. Let's say we have a Nazi. 
right? Okay. We always got to go for the Nazi. Oh, yeah. It's extreme examples because yeah. it, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, okay. So this Nazi has to interpret their reality in a way that confirms their beliefs or otherwise they're going to be ostracized from the group. Yeah. Right? Like, think about it. This Nazi may have been raised by a family of Nazis. All the people they looked up to were Nazis, right? Like, I'm an uncle, right? Mm -hmm. If you have kids or you're, you have a niece and nephew, just imagine what it must be like to, like, have this little, like, your niece or nephew or your child and you... They look up to you, they think you're so cool, and you are just like feeding them dogma of Nazism, mm -hmm. right? Just like imagine that. And these kids are only given love if they parroted hateful Nazi beliefs. And some of them may even been beaten by their parents if they didn't toe the Nazi line. Mm. By the time they're adults, their minds have been specifically structured to uphold their belief system. They'll quite literally block themselves from seeing a reality where, you know, non-whites can be educated or responsible or deny any evidence that shows that gay people can be good parents, right? From their perspective, they are literally living in a reality in which they, these things are true and they will fight you to the death because of it. They will storm the capital of the United States to fight for it. Their very existence now depends on them interpreting reality this way because they must abide by the roles that they've been indoctrinated into playing. Mm. And that's, it's just important to remember where these roles come from. Cause I yeah. was thinking like how many people consciously choose these roles? Like um, as far as Nazis were concerned, yeah. how many people were like, yeah, I think I've given this a lot of thought <laughs> and I've compared it to some other ways of life. And I think yeah. I choose this one. Like, no, that's no. just like what they observed growing up. That's who they looked up to. Like mm -hmm. you said. And, and even if like, they were radicalized in their adulthood. Mm -hmm. They had certain experiences or traumas in their, in their childhood that like drove them toward that direction. Yeah. You know, like there's a, there's a really good video actually that I just remembered. Uh, I believe it was made in Quebec by a, a Quebecois filmmaker. And it, it kind of shows this young boy and it follows him going to these different events. And you, I think, I'm not sure if it's, it's at the beginning or throughout the video where they, you realize that it's like a group of Nazis around this boy and it's showing how this little boy is like indoctrinated into this, into these, uh, these beliefs. Mm -hmm. Right. But like the crazy thing is the more we create a society that is hostile toward Nazis, the more dogmatic they'll become. Mm -hmm. Because again, we are now threatening to take their group away from them. We are actually creating a more dangerous Nazi, the less Nazi the rest of us all become. They're Whoa. going to start doubling down on their beliefs, blocking away any information, any information that might disconfirm their beliefs, and begin weighing confirming information even more than they already did. That's crazy. Yeah, it is fucking crazy. That like, is crazy how like polarizing it is mm -hmm. to be how polarizing it can be to be like different in any way from other people mm -hmm. when you focus on those differences and they just become stronger. Wow. It's a, it's a serious problem. Yeah. You know, and I, like, <laughs> don't think that I'm explaining this because I'm going to be like, and here is the solution to Nazis. <laughs> <laughs> That's not what this is. It's just no. using this as an example. Of as course. an example. Yeah. And you're using this as an example, but like there's so many ways in our society today where this is happening. Yeah. This exactly. Well, that's exactly it. And it's like, we all have to realize that we are doing this every single day. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, it's on a far smaller scale and far less violent consequences. Mm -hmm. But 
often it is causing us very real problems that we simply assume are part of the, the natural way of things. Mm -hmm. Just like a Nazi assumes that an equal society will collapse. We assume that our own lives will collapse if we, you know, change certain things or believe that we're powerless in the face of certain things. Because again, that's just the natural order of things, the natural way of things. Mm -hmm. This is where we come back to my statement that integrating blue means integrating the responsibility and duty that we have to uphold a peaceful, stable society. We must bring our roles, our reality interpreting lenses into the light of awareness, not to destroy them altogether but to see them exactly as they are so that we can see where they're helping us and where they're hurting us. From that perspective, we keep the best elements of these roles and let go of the worst. The roles we develop throughout our lives are adopted precisely because they help bring us stability, to make sense out of the world, to bring us together and keep us together. However, the thing is, many of these roles aren't actually doing that anymore. Many of these roles were haplessly thrown together by our juvenile minds and then just forgotten about. Again, some of them we've begun to hold so dogmatically that we don't even realize we can survive without them. That in fact, to be able to thrive, we must reframe them, if not completely get rid of them. These roles we have are far too often preventing our lives from running as smoothly as they can. Mm. These are the false roles in scripts, like the role of the underdog, of the coward, of the victim, of the sex object, or the dominator, or of the always rational person who doesn't give in to emotions. Mm. These roles are the ones we've adopted, the ones we believe we have to conform to and fulfill to make our personal world and the wider world around us run smoothly and stably. Mm. And like a, a good example that is very personal to you is like what we talked about in the long integration episode was, you know, that role of like the, the small girl who did everything uh, for her boyfriend. It was created in order to keep your world running smoothly, mm -hmm. right? You had a role to play in your life that gave you meaning and purpose, helped you interpret what was expected of you. And that very same role led to an eating disorder mm -hmm. and uh, to a denial of your authenticity for the sake of your relationship with men. So this role manifests itself as the rule, I'm interested in this music, but my boyfriend might think I'm weird for liking it, mm -hmm. so I'll just listen to his music instead. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Wow. Mm -hmm. It was like, wow, I like the way you understand that. Yeah. It was, <laughs> was that like, was that accurate? Yeah, it was yes. very accurate. <laughs> okay. And just like, it, it's, it's lovely to be put in such like interesting words and to like understand it better from this other perspective. Mm -hmm. Wow. That's crazy. And roles just come so solidified. Mm -hmm. and, and they're so unconscious that we don't even realize we're playing them. And we're just like living out that story every single day. Yeah. And it's so rare that we get a, a chance to call it into question. And even if it's not serving us, it, it just becomes so habitual. Yeah. And um, yeah, even the prospect of calling it into question is threatening yeah. to our, our worldview. And like, you know, even if there were times along my journey where I recognized that uh, this is not healthy, this is toxic and this is bad. I was like, I, I simply can't change it because this is all I know. Mm -hmm. And this is, this is what's giving me the safety that I, uh, I desire, Yeah, you know, even if I'm unhappy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, you, you, you talked about how you kind of like learned these lessons from like Disney movies and this kind of thing mm -hmm. where that was probably around the age of, you know, seven or eight mm -hmm. when you're, you're learning to take the role of other people. Mm -hmm. And you're suddenly realizing that you're seen through the eyes of men. And it's like, if you, if you want to 
be seen the best, you need to follow what these movies and these stories are telling you to be. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. And so, like, all of us are going through this around that age and, and to this day of us just seeing us ourselves through the eyes of others and mm-hmm. adopting roles and ways of being based on what they, we think they expect of us. Mm-hmm. But we, we can't let these roles destroy us. Mm-hmm. Right? That's, like, the whole point of this, of this psycho-archaeology. I just mm-hmm. love that word because it it's mm-hmm. perfectly describes it. Mm-hmm. And we are exploring our roles and our characters and how they influence the way we interpret reality. When we do this and in a way to conceptualize this is that our roles define our priority bias. In other words, they define what we prioritize in our lives. Mm-hmm. So a good example of this, well, I think it's good. It might be shit, but <laughs> <laughs> what I believe is a good example for this uh-huh. <laughs> is, uh, Let's say you're like a business executive, right? Okay. And, and so you have like certain prioritized values and ways of being that are biased toward business success. Mm-hmm. If you start thinking about sacrificing your business to save your failing family, this is going to give you like a lot of anxiety. You deny this because you don't want to face this, exi- this anxiety or the fact that your priorities aren't correct because you've already dealt with a lot of anxiety to become this successful business executive. You mm-hmm. already made your sacrifices and maybe even changed your uh, personality fundamentally just to become as successful as you are. Mm-hmm. Your mind has become specifically tailored to interpret reality in ways that are defined by and feed into this priority hierarchy you're currently operating from. When you think about making business sacrifices, your mind will automatically start thinking up all the reasons why that could go wrong. Mm -hmm. You've literally trained your mind to do this. However, your mind is not trained to think of all the things that can go wrong for not sacrificing your business to save your failing family. Mm -hmm. You can think of some reasons, but because of your priority bias, it is skewed toward business. Mm -hmm. You are far and away better able to think up those reasons in your mind This balance seems so obviously skewed toward the business side. Again, this isn't necessarily a direct reflection of reality, but is instead the interpreted reality your priority bias gives you access to. Yeah, based on your role, right? Exactly. That's like your interpretive lens is what every every problem is going to be filtered through and how Mm -hmm. you're going to go about solving that problem. And now you're being told that this very thing is limiting your success. Mm -hmm. Just like with your group. The more your roles are attacked, the more dogmatically you begin to hold them. Mm. Motivated by your fear of losing your family, you begin thinking up all the reasons that things can go wrong. Mm-hmm. But they are specifically biased toward business. You can imagine that if you sacrifice your business, you'll lose money and then your partner will divorce you and take your children away. Mm-hmm. Your priority bias prevents you from realizing that if you don't sacrifice your, your business, You'll lose your partner and your children will resent you for the chronic neglect. Mm -hmm. If you sacrifice your business, you may lose some money, but you'll actually have the time to build your relationships more strongly than a dollar value ever could. The sad thing is you might actually realize this, but even if you do, your priority bias will make you weigh the likelihood of the business failing far more than your family failing. If you want to save your failing family, you need to face the anxiety of reprioritizing your values. What you'll likely find is that you have to sacrifice far less of your business to save your family than your business indoctrinated mind thinks. You'll often lose far less than you think you will 
when you change the expectations you've placed on yourself. Referencing my own life here as trying to understand it, but like I, I feel like this is exactly what I'm going through lately. Yeah. Is this kind of trying to reprioritize and shift the priorities? Like I'm in a priority bias yeah. right now based on the roles I've always played or that I have been playing, mm-hmm. and I'm trying to shift that. And there's this fear associated with it. And I'm like, I, I feel this discomfort trying to move into another way of being mm-hmm. because I'm like, I'm going to lose something. I'm going to lose something that I need, that I think that I need mm-hmm. by withdrawing attention and value in, in some areas. Right. And I'm like, I, I don't know. It's like, because I've played roles, for, certain roles for so long, I ha- only have evidence for those roles providing certain reinforcements. Yeah. And trying to operate within new roles, it's like, I, I don't have evidence for that yet. And it's kind of, it's like a trusting thing. Yeah. You're just like, you, you just don't know yet. There's a lot of trust that goes with it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, you've kind of talked to me about how you, you kind of, you, you realize you based yourself on your relationships mm-hmm. and then you realized you need to discover yourself and discover your own relationships and this kind of thing, like your relationships with men. Mm-hmm. And then you need to discover your own relationships for yourself with like your, your group of friends, for example. Mm-hmm. And then you realize that you were now basing yourself on those relationships. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, your, your priority bias is still toward your relationships when yeah. you need to direct it more toward yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's always been like a, a complicated relationship that ha- yeah. I, I don't have much trust in myself. Yeah. I don't have much proof of myself providing myself with any of the, the love and safety that I, mm-hmm. I need. And and that's why like going back to these previous stages is so important because you know, when we talk about like stage yellow that comes after green, it's like a stage that's only just emerging. Mm-hmm. How can you enter that stage when you haven't answered all of these problems that were emerging at these different stages of your life? Mm-hmm. You know, like how can you move into this this new way of thinking that's only just emerging when you are struggling to find your, your who you are, you're defining yourself based on unhealthy roles, you are investing yourself in unhealthy relationships, you're doing all of these things and it's like you're expecting to be at the bleeding edge of thought. Mm-hmm. It's not going to happen, <laughs> you know? And it's yeah. like you have to humble yourself and you have to look back and be like, okay, I, I react negatively. I'm, I'm triggered by these previous ways of being. Maybe that's because I really haven't answered those problems and it's triggering this trauma that I haven't dealt with, mm-hmm. you know? Yes, exactly. Yeah. Wow. I love spirals. Spiral. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what comes up? Hmm? What, what comes, comes up? up? Just all of this. And yeah. just like, just realizing more and more how essential it is to go back, to yeah. start at the beginning, to build the foundation, because you just simply can't go forward. No. Even if it's like a nice idea and like, you're like, oh, like that sounds good. Like yeah. there's so much buried in you that you need to become aware of and need to heal from before you can genuinely live in alignment yeah. with higher values, yeah. you know? And yeah. And, yeah. and also just like healthily integrating mm. the earlier stages because being at a higher stage doesn't mean that you're exempt from the lower stages. Like, no. you know, if you've integrated stage red, that means there are still like you have, you can carry, you carry healthy red values yeah. as like a part of who you are. You've integrated that into, into yourself. It's not to say that you, you never engage with that. You mm-hmm. know? Well, that's just it. And, and it, it, we come back to that initial statement I made 
at the start of the podcast where it's like, it's not that any stage is better mm -hmm. than any other. Mm -hmm. It's in it, what yellow does is, is kind of the first stage to realize that all of these stages are, all these stages exist in a matter of speaking, mm -hmm. you know, and we need to honor each of the stages mm -hmm. because some people are, are at these stages. Some societies are at these stages. Mm -hmm. and, and to say that one society is better than any other, mm -hmm. I think we've learned in the past that that can go very wrong. Well, yeah. And just like in this podcast, we're saying exactly that, that it would, it can go wrong if you demonize a stage or demonize a society yeah. or a group for being at that stage. Exactly that's just triggering them to become yeah. more in, in ingrained in that belief in, yeah. in those values. And and that's like a big thing with like stage yellow is that it, it tries to, it tries like, it, it's kind of, it's, it's prime directive and it, mm -hmm. Apparently, Star Trek is actually based on on spiral dynamics, like the different uh, really? species. Yeah, like oh, you have the Klingon yes, or like stage red. Yeah. The humans are are stage yellow, and kind of like the prime directive of stage yellow mm -hmm. humans in Star Trek is that you don't interfere with other species, mm -hmm. right? Uh, I guess the difference here with stage yellow and Star Trek humans is that stage yellow does interfere but it interferes to just bring health to the spiral, mm -hmm. right? And so like a stage orange tactic, I guess, would be to go in and, and replace a dictator, you know, the, the kind of like CIA bullshit, mm -hmm. where stage yellow is like, well, no, let's go there and let's go to these villages and make sure they have access to clean water. Mm -hmm. Let's make sure that they have access to good medicine. Let's make sure that uh, women there are able to get education, stuff like this, where it's mm -hmm. like, let's try to make these societies healthy not by imposing our own views of what they should do but by simply giving them access to like the basic needs mm -hmm. you know it's really meeting them where they're at exactly mm -hmm. exactly and it's it's it, again it's it's never from a place of like we're better than you because mm -hmm. we're not mm -hmm. right we're all just solving the problems that have emerged where we're at in technology population size mm -hmm. etc mm -hmm. and so if, if we're all just trying to solve these problems this psychoarchaeology is necessary, mm -hmm. right? We need to go into ourselves and, and, and figure ourselves out. And, and we all have these roles that we feel we need to play. Mm -hmm. Again, these aren't the roles I was talking about in Stage Red. Those are the roles we play to hide our egocentricity, to manipulate people, to gain power over others. These are instead the belongingness roles that we play for the benefit of our group or other people specifically. The business executive thinks they're doing right by their family, right by their business partners and employees, right by what society expects of them as the primary breadwinner. Again, to integrate stage blue, the psychoarchaeology of our roles has to be done in service of our group or groups. It cannot be for our own self-interest or we're not actually thinking about stage blue. And so I, I've made a list of questions for you to kind of begin going through this process yourself mm. right and so number one is to to think about the different groups you feel you belong to or like different locations in your life so things are like work school if you're at the bar your family friends different uh, hobbies or um, activities that you engage in right two is to think about who you need to be seen as at these places or by these people who do you feel you need to be? And how do you define these roles? What rules come along with these roles? How do these roles make us treat ourselves or others? Do these roles make you include or exclude certain types of people? And how dogmatically are you holding these roles? 
What does it feel like for this to be wrong or even unnecessary? Is it scary? Does it make you angry? Feel into the possibility of letting it go and simply allow whatever comes up to sit within you. Ask yourself, would it really be so bad to let this go? Maybe you don't want to and that's perfectly fine. But uh, my friend, my roommate actually came up with this really good uh, saying, or he told me about it recently, where it's like, if you can't say no, then you aren't really, really saying yes. Mm. If you can't say no to these roles, then how can you say that these roles are really authentic to you? Mm. And I guess finally is read a book about it. <laughs> Simple as that sounds like, <laughs> don't expect yourself to simply Look be able to up. like, let this stuff go if you don't understand how it actually operates in your life. Mm -hmm. Like people have written books on mm -hmm. everything. Mm -hmm. If you've been a chronic savior or an underdog or a perfectionist, mm -hmm. read books about those things. You'd like, there, there are so many books that I've read that kind of mention these little roles we play or like how the underdog is hurting you or how the, um, your need to be seen as this thing is hurting you. And it's like, if you go through this exercise and you realize this stuff, Go find one of these books. It's out there. And mm -hmm. you can figure out if this is something that's really benefiting you. Mm -hmm. I'm just thinking about it. and just I really like that if you can't say no, you can't yeah, really yeah, say yes. Because it's just like... Let's talk about it. I don't know. It, I think that is it. Like what you were saying earlier about roles being called into question. And mm -hmm. if, if that's so uncomfortable for you and if, if that makes you angry and triggers you to become more deeply entrenched into those roles, then, then they're probably not healthy roles. Like I, I think no. that's, that's just it. If you, I think the strength in any role and, and the, the freedom in that role is when you call it into question mm -hmm. and you can see the other side and you feel like I could genuinely let this go. I don't have to play it. Yeah. But I'm choosing to because I, I have, I have questioned it and I see the value in it Yeah, and I want to do this. I'm choosing it. And, and like the, the point of this exercise isn't necessarily to let go of these roles completely. Mm -hmm. It's not the point of it. No. Like I already said, but throughout this podcast, I've said that we have responsibilities to our society and that's at every level. Mm -hmm. We have family responsibilities, workplace responsibilities, community responsibilities, and the list goes on. Mm-hmm. The goal with this exercise is to explore these roles, to learn how they are influencing us so that we may put them in their proper place based on our own internal values yeah. rather than on the values that we've been indoctrinated into. Can I tell you an example? Yeah, yeah, go ahead, please. <laughs> I don't know. I don't, like, I don't know if I want you to keep this in. Okay, you can tell me after. No, no. Can I tell you now? Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, well, yeah, tell me now and then if you want to tell okay, me now. Okay, okay, okay. I was just, I, it's funny. I was talking to Daniela a few nights ago. We were discussing female pubic hair okay. as we are females. Yeah. And I re recalled the first time that that idea was ever called into question for me. I was oh, very yeah. young and my boyfriend at the time had asked me if I shaved and I was like, well, I'm like 12 or 13. <laughs> no. Yeah. And yeah. he was like, you. <laughs> he said, you. I'm sorry. Oh my I God. I know. And then I was like, oh shit. That like yeah. stuck in my brain. I'm like, okay, guys expect shaved oh, pubes no. all the time yeah so yeah. next year rolls around i'm 14 now and i'm going to lose my virginity and i'm like kate shave it bare yeah got reinforced for that of course and mm. then i kind of just hung on to that yeah for all of my life well, all my young life 
I, in, in the safety of my most recent long-term relationship with Sean, I was like, you know what? Maybe this is fucked up. Maybe like, why, why do I feel like I have to do this? Yeah. Why, what is this? And is this like, just like a symptom of pornography Mm -hmm. and in men? And then that's been projected onto me. And I feel like I have to play this role for men to be accepted and to be sexually attracted, attractive and stuff. And I was really questioning it for a while. And and I was like, you know what? I'm just going to like stop for a while and see what happens. And I'm going to test this and see like if I feel, if I genuinely feel more comfortable the other way. And if I, if I can like adapt the other role. Yeah. But, and through doing that, I was like, you know what? I just like, I just like shaving my (laughs) pubes. I just, I just prefer myself this way. I'm more comfortable this way, but I feel better in that now because I'm not like, Oh, was I just indoctrinated into this? Was Mm. I just, am I just like a product of, I don't know, like, uh, patriarchy or something yeah yeah exactly and i'm just like playing these roles and they're actually unhealthy and i chose to play i choose to play it now just because i enjoy it (laughs) yeah so that there you go it's like even something like that where that's that's a very contentious issue for some people is like Mm -hmm. you you went both sides and you're like okay this side is just the way i prefer it Mm -hmm. right and Mm -hmm. it's like whether you're falling for these indoctrination rules or you're reacting excessively to them either of those things you're you're not like really choosing what's authentically for you. Yeah. Right. And it's like, of course, some women and some men like shaving your, your chest is a thing men do. Mm-hmm. It's like whatever, like your specific beliefs are on, on body hair. That's for you. Like, mm-hmm. I don't think anybody should be judged for that or said you to I, I'm 12 <laughs> years old, a fucking Fuck as an guy. adult, let alone 12 years old. <laughs> Jesus Christ. But it should be coming from an authentic place. Yes. Not a place from like shame or anger or just like anything else other than be like, what do you feel comfortable in? Yeah. If it's one or the other, cool. Yeah. Just be comfortable. Yeah. And obviously like the decisions we make, like how free are we really, you know, like yeah. I'm still, I'm still conditioned, yeah. you know, even though I did that little experiment with myself and my body hair, it's like, okay, I still live in this world and like how I feel comfortable as a feminine person is like it's still informed mm-hmm. by everything I've ever learned. For and sure. Obviously, like body hair is kind of traditionally been like the a more masculine thing. So, but you know, either way, like whatever. I don't yeah. know if this is the best example. It's just it just it came up and <laughs> oh, I, I think it's an awesome example. Actually. Okay. Do you, like, do you, are you okay if I keep? Yeah, it? sure. Okay, cool. Because <laughs> it worked. So I think it works perfectly because like mm-hmm. it, it's it's one of those things that again like. You, you want to be judging these things based on your own internal values. Mm-hmm. And one huge value that I think everybody should have, maybe not the top 10, but one of the values is just like being comfortable in your own skin. Mm-hmm. And it's like, if, if one or the other makes you more comfortable, then just go with that. Mm-hmm. You know, like personally, my, my preference is that, uh, I like it shaved or trimmed. That's mm-hmm. just like what I like, but I'm not going to like enforce that on somebody or make them feel <laughs> disgusting because they don't <laughs> conform to that. You know, it's like at the uh, very least it becomes like a treat every once in a while. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, it's something special. Mm-hmm. And like knowing that my partner is just comfortable in their skin is far more important than, mm-hmm. than them like putting themselves through horrible pain or discomfort just mm-hmm. to like to do something for me because they feel gross if they don't conform to my standard, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Um, is that reasonable? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Good. <laughs> Another really good example <laughs> is, uh, is parenthood, mm-hmm. right? Like uh, this is a textbook example of society indoctrinating us to fulfill certain responsibilities. And there are like, there are natural biological urges for this. Of course, we can't deny those, but whether it's you're like indoctrinated to be the perfect domestic mother or the perfect breadwinning father or vice versa, 
these roles serve a very clear purpose to keep our society running smoothly. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you're, if you're clearly delineating who it does which thing, that makes things pretty simple. Mm-hmm. But we've now come to a place where most of us have the real choice between which permutations of these roles we want or just completely setting those roles aside. Mm-hmm. By exploring these roles, we can figure out what we feel we're being forced into and whether that's something we really want. Mm-hmm. Again, maybe we decide that we are being pressured toward or away from parenthood when in reality we really want the opposite. The point of this exercise is to figure that out so we can begin fulfilling our own responsibilities in ways that align with our own values. It's not to do away with our responsibilities to society altogether, mm-hmm. because I think that we have very real responsibilities that we must perform. Mm-hmm. It's just being conscious. Mm-hmm. And like, you're going to perform those responsibilities that align with yourself far more than those responsibilities you feel forced into. Mm-hmm. And that parenthood example is really interesting. Yeah. And I, I, I think about that as an aging woman. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But honestly, recently, no, recently I, I was this person, uh, we were having a conversation and he was talking about having kids and something about like, Oh, you'll know when you have kids one day. And I was like, you know what? I don't know. I go back and forth. Sometimes yeah. I look at the world and I'm like, you know, maybe, maybe I don't want to have children. Mm-hmm. And I, I kind of said that in less words, maybe less thought provoking words. Maybe I was just like, you know what? I don't know. <laughs> I don't yeah. know if I'll ever do that. Yeah. And he's like, well, of course you will. You have to. You came from a good family. <laughs> like, <laughs> and just like that belief. I was like, yeah. huh, you're so sure of that, aren't you? Like, yeah. it's my duty because I came from a good family and I need to carry on the yeah, good yeah. familyness. But it's just like, I don't know. I thought that was a very, it was just a funny response. And yeah, like uh, we have all these roles that people just expect. And you, you, when you become conscious of these kinds of things and you hear the conversations that other people are having or that you have and they like, say these things you're just like what wait what like mm-hmm. why am why do i have to right mm-hmm. like why do i have these responsibilities or why are people expecting this of me and it's just like maybe they should mm-hmm. maybe you do have a responsibility to have children mm-hmm. i mean you're a woman of course you do right mm-hmm. <laughs> just kidding <laughs> just kidding but it's like it, maybe you do have those responsibilities and maybe you should you have like an obligation to fulfill them but you should be able to say no Mm -hmm. And it should be in alignment with your internal values. Yeah. If you can't say no, you can't really say yes. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So I was just going to say, I I think about that with parenthood a lot. Yeah. Like that's what I really call into question when I look at a lot of people from past generations, especially and like why they chose to have kids Mm -hmm. just because that's their, that was their duty. That was what they were to do. That's the role they played as man and wife was like, the yeah. next thing you do is you have kids. But for me, w- when I think about these things, I, th- I see it as a really huge responsibility to bring a whole person into this world. Yeah. And if I'm going to do that, I want to know that I'm in the best pos- position to like mm. give them a really good upbringing and to raise them with good values so that if they're going to continue on and they're going to have kids, like that I'm contributing in a positive way just by like, not traumatizing them as much as I can, you know, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. but like people of the past, they didn't think about that. They're just like, Oh, I'm just going to have a, I'm just going to have a kid. Yeah. That's just what you do. As early as possible. I don't know anything. I don't know how to take care of them. I haven't dealt with my own trauma. I'm just going to keep it going. They don't even know what trauma is. They don't even know what trauma is. Yeah. yeah. It's like, um, I, I, I've thought a lot about that. It, like I've always been of the mind that like, I don't know if I want to have kids now, but if I do have kids, I want to be 
in a good financial spot. I want to be in a good relationship with somebody who I'm like been with for a couple of years mm-hmm. and make that decision out of place of strength. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, it, 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 it's, and when we look at like these roles again, as, as lenses we use to interpret reality, when am I going to finish school? How old am I going to be? Mm-hmm. And, and do I go to school if it's going to make me too old to have kids? Mm-hmm. Is it going, am I going to, you know, travel the world before I have kids or after I have kids? Do I even travel the world at all? Are kids more important? Do I dedicate myself too much to my career and gain all these responsibilities to the point that I can have kids and be a good father? Mm-hmm. And it's like all of these questions and, and how many countless more are all based on this interpretive lens of parenthood. Mm-hmm. And that's just one lens, mm-hmm. you know? And it's like, if, if you haven't really explored these lenses, if you haven't learned to say no to them, you have no fucking clue how to say yes. Because mm-hmm. there's like, there's an infinity involved in both no and yes. And if you haven't investigated both of those things, there's an infinity of reality you haven't, you haven't even begun to contend with. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> and now we're kind of getting to the end of what I realized in my trip. Mm-hmm. And... The last thing that I wanted to talk about from the trip itself is how our roles can become coping mechanisms. And if you've been listening to us for a while, you know that I had issues growing up with like bullying and my family. And during that time, I developed an addiction to video games. Mm -hmm. They became a coping mechanism for me. And over time, as my life became increasingly defined by video games, I adopted the role of gamer. This became especially true once I started talking to people about video games online and in person. Many of my friendships were now based around the idea that we played video games together. So what happened is that a coping mechanism for my damaged relationships became its own role Mm. that was just as subject to everything I've already said as any other role. Mm -hmm. What I realized during my trip was that I had placed video games into the empty space that had actually been reserved for relationships. Mm. That coping mechanism then became a role. And so when I decided I needed to quit playing video games, I not only had to deal with the battle against addiction, but also with the battle that comes with redefining our roles and how our roles influence how we interpret reality. Mm. What's more, because this coping mechanism was born of damaged relationships, the entire role I had was itself built upon a foundation of damaged relationships. The interpretive lens that the role of gamer had become was also interpreting reality based on the fact that I had damaged relationships. And so because of this, when I quit video games, when I let go of that role, I didn't actually deal with the damaged relationships. By focusing on the video games, I simply replaced the video games with other coping mechanisms. Things like physical fitness, learning, uh, school, All these things that are like good became coping mechanisms because they were hiding myself from the very real issue of healing my damaged relationships. So when you do that exercise, look to your coping mechanisms and how they've defined who you think you are Mm -hmm. and how you perceive your reality. Whether it's video games, physical fitness, politics, porn, your job, or anything else, always love all of yourself but be willing to let even the fundamental aspects of who you think you are go Mm. because they may be the very thing that has been holding you back. Wow. That's really interesting. (laughs) (laughs) That's just like, yeah, basically pointing to how 
our traumas become our identities yeah. in some ways, you know, in a lot of ways. And even though on the surface you were looking at a video game addiction, yeah. underneath there was so much more that needed to be healed. And, but I mean, yeah, at that level, like sometimes that, it's not like you have to go straight to the root cause at all the time, you know, like, like you said, you, you had to go through that phase where you were, you replaced it first yeah, with other things. For sure. And replacing unhealthy things with healthy things that's like the best place to start i think is like you know just taking better care of yourself but it's crazy that it can it can just like transfer to another thing and you're still carrying around the same trauma the same coping mechanism but just placed elsewhere yeah Mm -hmm. yeah and like (laughs) it was kind of funny during the trip i like i realized that Mm -hmm. i realized this like idea of just filling this empty space with more things instead Mm -hmm. of dealing with the empty space yeah i'd realized this and then i wrote in my my journal on my computer i put the empty space a little uh a little bullet point and then was like i'm too high for this (laughs) like just like (laughs) continued on with the next thing that popped my head and just like i couldn't think of anything at that point like i said more about it later but i went back over my notes and like saw the empty space bullet point i'm too high for this. <laughs> maybe you should have went into that like you know how like yeah, at the yeah. beginning you were saying you felt the loneliness of being like a child that realizes his parents aren't you're they're not you're they're not the center of the universe yeah 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 like i love that you said how you felt that loneliness because i think that's one of the most yeah. amazing things that the psychedelic experience can offer is just like that complete experience of an emotion yeah you know it's not like you're just like oh thinking about it it's like you know you felt that yeah and even this like empty space thing yeah i mean james w gesso he in his book he talked about emotive psychosynthesis Mm. which is like it's triggered by mushrooms um or any psychedelic because like you said you you just have nowhere to go but feel that emotion and Mm -hmm. it's so intense and it's like Mm -hmm. if you just allow yourself to feel that that's when you like synthesize these emotions. You just mm-hmm. like allow the, the the emotion to finally run its course mm-hmm. and reach reach its natural end. You know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. like it's just like it's healing. It's mm-hmm. healing. The empty space, though. Yeah, the empty space. Imagine that. Like, <laughs> you know, I I don't know. I've heard people talk about like confronting the void and their yeah. psychedelic experiences. And, like, I have no idea what that must feel like. But you know, yeah, just like the complete absence of anything. And how terrifying that must be. Yeah. Actually, I'm going to go back to my notes right now and see what I had after that. Yeah. Because it was... Uh... Oh, okay. That's what I went with. I, uh, I started thinking like... <laughs> when you walk by somebody, it's perfectly normal to say good morning. Uh-huh. And I started going off on like how the greeting good morning is like communicating to the other person that we all live in this society. It's safe. I like... You can trust me to like wish you a good morning. I can trust you to wish it to me back. And we both go on feeling safe, Mm. right? And so it's like, even in those like minute interactions we have throughout our day, we're just like creating this atmosphere of safety. Mm. And it's all as simple as just being like, good morning. That's beautiful. That's really sweet. And Mm. just like confirming reality with each other, you know, like just checking in. Yeah. I think that's one of the scariest things about like isolation and Mm. being alone and lonely is like, there's nobody else to check your reality with you. Yeah. Because it's just like, there's no one else there. You don't know if anything's real. I feel like I used to think about this when I was young too. Mm. Like not in this in depth, obviously, but <laughs> I, I remember I would hate if nobody responded to somebody. Like I would hate someone saying something and it going yeah. unresponded to yeah. because someone would say something and I was like, so sure that I'd heard it, but no one responded. And I was just like, did that really happen? <laughs> it made me like go crazy, honestly. Like, yeah. 
it, it was it fucked with me yeah well yeah it's like the empty space is just like how i've come to contend with that is like in the empty space there's only yourself mm-hmm. and it's like this empty space was like my damaged relationships mm-hmm. but i filled it in with other things i filled it in with video games or mm-hmm. learning or even pornography and it's like mm-hmm. it's just something to distract yourself from the fact that like you have these issues mm-hmm. and it's like meditation is like resting in that empty space and allowing yourself to come up with you and you like you realize this stuff about you or like psychedelics you realize this stuff about you that you've been hiding from and you've been running from and you've been using these distracting elements to hide yourself from and it's like you just have to fucking face it and deal with it and that's how you get over it mm-hmm. you know it's it's not by like the the behavior and changing the behavior it's dealing with the trauma it's dealing with the pain it's not why the addiction it's why the pain mm-hmm. and that's like a lot of our roles are all based on this pain and trauma that we have and if we want to let go of these old pathological roles we need to go into that trauma and that pain but we first need to find out like what these roles actually are first mm-hmm. we need to start somewhere and it's like all of this simply speaks to the fact that integration is an ongoing process mm-hmm. I have worked on my relationships a lot because this this is not the first trip that I've had insights into my damaged relationships. Mm-hmm. When we when we look at the problems that we have in our lives, it's never a single issue that needs fixing. Mm-hmm. You you said that earlier. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's it's never a single role that needs to be let go of. It's instead the entire system of ourself and all the moving parts that have developed and become pathologized over our entire lives. Mm-hmm. All of it works together in ways that we may never fully understand. Mm-hmm. Self-development is about repeatedly digging through the layers of self, discovering new insights into what happened to us, how that's influenced us in the present, and how that influences how we move forward into our future. Mm-hmm. This isn't supposed to sound negative or intimidating. It's, it's not. Mm-hmm. This is unbelievably exciting for me personally. Mm-hmm. I've come to a place in my development where even though I don't fully understand myself, I'm still able to find true peace and purpose in life. Like I said, we may never fully understand ourselves, but true flourishing is always possible and you can get to a point where your development itself becomes a part of that flourishing. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned that in past stage episodes and in, in past like integrations of other stages, you've talked about problems in your relationships mm-hmm. and that's coming up again and it's going to keep coming up. And I, yeah. I think that's, something to realize about like applying these integral stages to your own life is that like you have the problems that you have and you're going to keep exploring those problems deeper and deeper you know it's not like it's going to be solved completely at one stage you know it's like you're going to confront the same things but you're going to understand it different the next time around you're going to have more insight you're going to interpret it in a different way yeah i I feel like for me and in my experiences with psychedelics and development in general it's like I don't just always like come up with new problems to have, you know, it's like <laughs> I have like some fundamental issues yeah. and as I develop, I take a new perspective on those issues and I, it, 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 the healing process just continues and it just goes deeper each time mm-hmm. and it's always different and there's always more to heal, but it's never like, it's not like some magical different thing every time, you yeah, know? Yeah. yeah like, I, I mean, I, at one point I wanted to do a trip every month mm-hmm. and I did my one big trip, I decided I'm going to do it every month and I did it next trip 30 days later. Mm-hmm. And what I realized at that trip was like, I still have so much from the previous one that doing it once a month just isn't beneficial to me. Yeah. You know, and it, it could be beneficial for some people. Like, I don't want to put that on everybody. But like yeah. for me personally, it's just like I had too much 
to work on still. Mm-hmm. And, and maybe that's, that's a consequence of not doing enough work in that time. Like maybe you could do that much work in that time, maybe. Mm-hmm. But the point being is that like, you have to actually do the work. You actually yeah. have to do the integration. Mm-hmm. And if you don't do that, it's, it's why are you even doing the psychedelic? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. there's recreational use. We can get into that. But if you're doing it specifically for development, mm-hmm. you need to actually do the development. Mm-hmm. And that comes outside the trip. Yes, exactly. Yeah. You, I was just going to ask you, like, you've had a lot of struggles with the integration process. Where are you with it now? Like, have, have you learned new things about how to integrate? Like, oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, let's talk like, about it. Uh, kind yeah. of. I mean, like, um, I find I've, I've actually been looking at it lately from like a broader perspective. I feel like I'm, I'm kind of getting into some insight into the trajectory of integration and it's non-linear. And I, yeah. I find, um, mm. A lot of my trips, and th- and that's why I'm saying like some of the same problems come up, but you like interpret them differently, or your, or the the process of development is like you have to go along it, and like what we're talking about was the stages here is like you have to start, you have to have a foundation first, and you have to start from the bottom and build that up before you can reach the higher stages. You can't just jump there, you know. But yeah, you have to go through all of the stages. You have to start and integrate at each stage before you yeah. can move on healthily and fully mm-hmm. to the higher stages. And I think something I've been thinking a lot about lately is how everything is happening absolutely perfectly. Yeah. That's been coming up a lot. Yeah. When I think about my life and I'm kind of reflecting on my development over the past couple of years or even couple of months, I have... I actually genuinely feel like I have maybe not perfect peace, but like genuine <laughs> peace with yeah. l- looking at myself and across all situations in my life and knowing that I was always doing the best I could at that time. Yeah. And even if I know more now, I never think like, oh, why didn't I do that then? I should have known it then. I'm like, no, I was doing exactly what I thought I should be doing then. Mm-hmm. And now that I know, I can go forward with that. And then, and so many things that I've, I've realized from my trips and going back and thinking about past trips, I'm like, that came to me at that time, mm-hmm. but I wasn't ready to integrate that because I hadn't done enough work. I, I wasn't at a stage in my life where I, I could integrate that even, yeah. you know, like I was taking in that information on the trip and I was like, whoa, and like doing a bunch of journaling and writing about it and realizing it at a, mm. at a cognitive intellectual level. But I wasn't ready on all the other levels to yeah. actually implement that into my life and to live in alignment with that. Mm-hmm. And so what I've been, the process I've been going through with integration lately with that perspective and knowing that it's not going to happen linearly is that I'm actually really taking stock of my, my past trips, ones that I I don't feel like I've, I've integrated Mm -hmm. yet. And like, they're coming up at different times and like, especially, I mean, in the long process of integration, Yeah. like I had had trips in between that trip that I had in February of 2020 but I was, I wasn't integrating those trips. I was integrating the trip that was in February, 2020. And say, for example, the trip I had in December, the picking up the paintbrush episode, I genuinely don't think I live in alignment with the, with the lessons that I I got from that. And I haven't even been working on that at all Mm -hmm. since then because I wasn't ready for it. And right now I'm actually, I'm, I'm, I'm going through that process again with that trip. And I'm like, okay, can we live with that now? Can mm. we actually take those lessons and implement them into our lives? Because, you know, it, it hasn't happened yet. I, I yeah. don't feel like I've integrated that. And Well, it's, 
Yeah, it's just, it's a process. Mm-hmm. It's a non-linear mm-hmm. process. There's going to be ups and downs. There's going to be things that like you, you, you know, certain elements of yourself are going to advance so far beyond everything else mm-hmm. that it's like you need to take a step back and allow the other parts of yourself to like grow before you can get back to those really deep high level insights you've had. Yeah. You know, exactly. and it's, it's like one thing I've noticed about you over the past summer is, and we've talked about this is like, you had to go back to, to certain elements of yourself and like really live those out and allow them to like you know reach their natural end mm-hmm. before you could be ready to like you said to start integrating those other trips and it's like yeah. a lot of the times we we realize these things about ourselves and we just forget them mm-hmm. and then we look back and be like oh I, I waste them all my time i have to like get on this and like you beat yourself up and then you get on this path and you start making progress and it's like you just weren't ready for that thing. Mm-hmm. Like you don't beat yourself up because you weren't ready for it. Mm-hmm. You know, like I remember one time I was, uh, actually, I think we talked about this earlier to, uh, as well, where like I was driving one time and I just like realized that I could be goofy mm-hmm. on my own and I didn't have to judge myself. And it's like that realization where I could just like, I could make myself laugh and be goofy and not like judge myself or feel ashamed of myself when I'm doing that alone. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh shit, like I'm in control of my own emotions. Mm-hmm. And it's like that dawned on me and it's like, oh, like I've come to a place in my development where I've really gained the ability to just like be happy on my own mm-hmm. and to be the source of that happiness. Mm-hmm. And again, that's like not everybody has that ability because it takes development, mm-hmm. but you can get to that, that level. Yeah. And it's like, and, and there were times where like I forgot that. Mm-hmm. And I like became like a little bit depressed or a little bit anxious. And I'm like, oh, like I'm always going to just be like this depressed, anxious person. And then I re-remembered that. And it was like, oh shit, no, I already, I already realized this. And I start making more progress along that path. And it's like, it's slowly all coming together. Mm-hmm. It just takes time. It does. Exactly. Yeah. I, I was just going to give like another example of like, uh, just something you could experience on a psychedelic trip. And like I did in the paintbrush one, when I was like, experiencing non-dual consciousness and just like an ocean you know it's like oh am i does that mean i'm stage turquoise now like Mm -hmm. no not even close you know it's like you can glimpse these things and you can feel them even in different ways in your life but it's like so much different to actually like embody that and feel those feel truly in line alignment with that yeah all the time you know totally different things Mm -hmm. so at every level you're just like you're always just solving the problems that you have, right? Yeah. <laughs> Whatever is emerging. Exactly. Well, I feel like what psychedelics do is that they just like, they give you glimpses at a higher level and like they give you that path forward, mm-hmm. you know? And it, like not always, like there are definitely ways in which they can make you a worse person. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like they can, they can reinforce bad aspects of yourself. Mm-hmm. But if you're trying to be a better person, if you're trying to be more empathetic, if you're trying to be, if you're trying to learn how to take more perspectives and to be able to understand more of yourself in the world, they can give you glimpses that are far ahead of where you currently are mm-hmm. and give you somewhere to go, mm-hmm. you know? And it's not always the case. Like there's some, like I said, cases of people using them to, to reinforce unhealthy ways of being, but when you're on that trajectory toward being a better person, they can at least help you a lot, mm-hmm. you know? And it's all when you come back to reality, when you come back to like your, your own life, you need to go through the process of actually getting there, mm-hmm. but they at least give you like a glimpse of the destination. Yeah, 
For sure. It, that's, and that's it. It's like, it shows you what's possible and helps you feel it so that you have a reference point while, while you're working towards that in your, in your regular everyday state, you know, yeah. like I remember the first time I did mushrooms and feeling like immense self-love mm-hmm. and just like self-care and compassion. And even though, and like, I I never felt that before. And even though it, it still is taking a long time to like work into that, I, I always think about that and I know what it feels like now. I know that it's possible to feel yeah. that way with myself. Mm-hmm. And when I practice that, even if it's not like to that extent, like if I'm just working into it, I know what I'm, I'm working towards. And when I feel it, I recognize it now. And I'm like, okay, that's good. That's yeah. a good feeling. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's it, it, like coming back to the idea of roles. It's if you're, if your certain role defines how you interpret reality and you have this like role as the anxious person, mm-hmm. you might interpret everything to make yourself more anxious mm-hmm. and just interpret everything to say that like, you'll never not be anxious. Mm-hmm. And it's when you, when you finally enter that state of just not being anxious, when you're on a psychedelic, mm-hmm. you're like, Oh shit, this is what it's supposed to look like. Yeah. It's like putting glasses on for the first time and being like, Oh shit. Like it's not supposed to be blurry. Mm-hmm. Like people's faces aren't <laughs> that really blurry. happened to me too. That really happened to me too. Yeah. <laughs> I remember like getting home one day and like playing with my toys and I like was just kind of like looking around I was just like took them off put them back on I was like dude I'm fucking blind what the hell like (laughs) all this time like what yeah yeah it's like no one told me Mm -hmm. (laughs) that's so funny that's what our roles do like that's what our roles are like they're making the world blurry when in reality it's far more clear if we just let go of those old roles yeah and it's hard yeah <laughs> it's hard. we're addicted to our roles we are yeah they're coping mechanisms like yeah. i said like yeah. a lot of them are just built around trauma built around pain and 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 we're indoctrinated into thinking that that's how we're supposed to be and if people tell us we're not supposed to be that way we become more dogmatic about them and it's just like it's a difficult endless process of slowly improving yourself but it is possible mm-hmm. it is absolutely possible mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. yeah it's all happening everything is perfect (laughs) yeah that's another one that's like it slowly happens and you slowly (laughs) realize that like you know i look back on my life and i'm just very grateful for everything because i'm like i love who i am and where i am so much that it's like i'm afraid to change anything because i don't want to not be who i am yeah you know and that's that's it's very, it's a huge privilege to be able to say that. Yeah. You know, it's a huge privilege. And it's not to say that your life was perfect no. either, but it's like it all contributed to exactly where you are right That's now. That's what I mean. Yeah. It's like, there are things in my past that it's like, I wouldn't wish on on anyone, no. but I don't want to change them. Yeah. I don't. Even the pain is a privilege because you've gotten exactly. to learn from it. Mm-hmm. You've learned so much from your experiences. Yeah. So is there anything more that you'd like to say <laughs> before we come to the end of this podcast? That's a beautiful note to end on, like yeah. that gratitude. I think that's beautiful. Yeah. Because it like, have gratitude for, for your roles and how they've helped you. Yeah. You yeah. Know, like, and gratitude for the coping mechanisms that, yeah. that got you through hard times, you know? And, you know, even if they ended up being unhealthy, it's like, I don't know. It's, it's all... The, they may have been the thing that got you this far. Yeah. And yeah. thank them for that. Mm-hmm. Love them for that. Mm-hmm. But love who you could be enough to let them go mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. so thank you for listening if you've listened this far if uh you have listened to this far the fuck are you doing follow us on its social media <laughs> <laughs> at wild and theology mm-hmm. instagram twitter um yeah yeah that's that's uh that's about it wow
Thanks. Goodbye. Bye.